I'm not afraid. Are you? The Watchman Speaks discusses biblical solutions to modern-day dilemmas. I'll tell you the truth, even if it's not what you want to hear. I am the old watchman, Ezekiel. I pray you listen. Welcome to The Watchman Speaks. I'm your host, Lonnie Richardson. Today and next week, I want to carry on with a discussion of God's time and the ecclesiastical calendar. We are approaching an exciting season in how God has worked not only biblically but historically as well. Currently, we are in the month of Adar. And I discussed last week the repeating pattern of Exodus chapter 6 when God made promises to Moses and the sons of Israel while they were still in Egypt. Those promises were to bring Israel out, sanctify them, to deliver Israel deliver them, redeemed them with an outstretched arm and great judgments. He redeemed them in just Egypt. He took them as his people, be their God, which was their joy. He also promised to give them a land that he had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as a possession of inheritance. It is an inheritance to the sons of Israel because it was promised to Abraham. Therefore, it was the birthright of Isaac, Esau, Isaac's firstborn, but Esau sold his birthright to Jacob, who received Isaac's blessing. Jacob was renamed Israel by God, and the land promised to Abraham became Israel's birthright or inheritance. These promises in Exodus chapter 6 repeated in the book of Esther. If you haven't been following my suggestion to read Esther yet, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. It's a beautiful story of God's faithfulness to his people, and you really should give it a good reading. Haman was going to destroy all the Jews because Esther's cousin, Mordecai, had refused to bow and pay homage to Haman as a high public official in the Babylonian government. Esther, having God's favor and gained the favor of the king as his new queen, foiled Haman's plan and saved the Jews from being exterminated. In essence, God brought the Jews out from under the persecutions of Babylon and sanctification. He, God, delivered them from certain extinction, and that's deliverance. God redeemed them with a strong arm and judgment upon Haman and his entire household. By supernatural favor and intervention, God brought salvation to the Jewish race as their God, and they were exceedingly joyful. And by the way, they eventually were brought back into the land that was theirs. Therein you have the promises of Exodus chapter 6 showing up again in the book of Esther. It's pretty simple to see. This is known as Purim that occurred at the beginning of last week for two days. But what happened afterwards in Exodus chapter 6? Well, God sent Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh, and I'll paraphrase. And said, look, Hoss, you need to let these folks go to God so they can worship their God. And, of course, Pharaoh, whose heart was hardened, said, that ain't happening. And Moshe, that's Moses, said, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh replied, huh, 
I expect I need to see them report to work tomorrow morning. And Moshe said, it ain't going to be pretty. But Pharaoh paid no mind. After that, the plagues fell upon Egypt. The Nile River was turned into blood. Frogs swarmed the land. Then there was a swarm of flies upon the land. Now, the Bible does not say how the people of Israel were affected by the Nile turning into blood or the infestation of frogs. But the Bible clearly states that Israel would not be affected by the flies and that God would separate his people from the people of Egypt, that Israel would not be affected by the flies or the remaining plagues. Then God struck Egypt with the destruction of their livestock. A plague of boils and sores followed, and there was a plague of hail. Pharaoh would still not release the people of Israel, and God sent forth locusts. A darkness fell upon the land. Then the firstborn of Egypt died, and Egypt began handing over riches to the sons of Israel. What can we expect during this time? We can expect the hardened of heart and the wicked to experience some difficulties. Two or three weeks ago, Syria and Turkey suffered an earthquake that took the lives of over 40,000. Not precise in timing, I suppose, but definitely within season. If you look at our political arena today, there are accusations flying left and right. There are investigations being conducted left and right. Unsettling time for those who are wicked and not on the right path. But if you count the days of the plagues of Egypt and then 10 days into the first month of Nisan, you have 29 days. So what was the 10th day of Nisan? Exodus chapter 12, verse 3 tells us that on the 10th day of the month, each household was to select a lamb. Verse 5 says that the lamb shall be unblemished, without any fault, male, one year old. And verse 6 states that the lamb shall be kept until the twilight of the 14th day before it is to be slaughtered and consumed. It would be the beginning of Passover. But Jesus was the Passover lamb of God, a sacrifice for all mankind. He was without blemish or sin. He was male, and he would die on that same date, the 14th day of Nisan, on the full moon. Now, while I mentioned the full moon, you must understand that the new moon is the beginning of each month in God's ecclesiastical calendar. The full moon is the midpoint of each month. Let's talk about the first month, Aviv or Nisan. This month is mentioned by number or by name almost 40 times in the Bible. Certainly, it is the most mentioned month of the Bible. We should pay attention to this month and the dates attributed to this month. The first day of the month of Aviv, or Nisan, is the beginning of the year on God's ecclesiastical calendar. The tenth day of the month, the lamb was selected. What were the sons of Israel doing with that lamb from the tenth day until the fourteenth day? They were observing it, making certain it had no blemish, that it was clean that it was not in any way sick or ill. They were feeding and watering. They treated that lamb with care, love, 
respect. The blood of that lamb was smeared on the lentils and doorposts of the homes of Israel, and the angel of death passed over those homes and took the firstborn of Egypt. It was the blood of Christ at his crucifixion that covers us and him taking the keys of death and life back from Satan that we escape the eternal confines of death. For Jesus is the light and the life of the world. Through him we have eternal life in his presence and in the presence of the Father. Now for those of you who are thinking that the Passover is merely a Jewish holiday, I'd like to redirect your attention to something. Well, it's not that I don't sit well, it's just I don't put much stock in denominations. I'm not interested in what man has put into practice. I'm more interested in what God actually said, and here's what God actually said about the Passover. Exodus chapter 12, 14. Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are celebrated as a permanent ordinance. God is speaking about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, clearly remembering is a big deal to God. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But notice that you shall, in the verse, that's a definitive article. That doesn't mean you ought to, or you might think about it, or if you want to remember, it means you will remember without fail. And you may say it says, throughout your generations. And that is for Israel or the Jews. Bear in mind, historically, that when this was written, there were no Jews at this time. There was only Israel. But let's look at the word ordinance. What is an ordinance? Is it a statute or law? No. Statute and ordinance are different things. They have different meanings. A law can be fulfilled, amended, or repealed. It requires a lawgiver and an agent to fulfill the law. Jesus was that agent. However, ordinance is an ancient legal term defining a final judgment that cannot be overturned ever. You may say, well, that's still for the Jews. No, that's for the Hebrews, Israel, Jews, Americans, Africans, Asians, Hispanics, Chinese, you, me, us, y'all, and them. Paul said that we Gentiles were a wild olive branch grafted into a tree. He's talking about Israel. And while we are not subject to the law to the extent that Orthodox Judaism is, we should not become so arrogant as to forget that we do not support the root, but rather the root supports us. People, we have a Jewish root, and his name is Yeshua. We call him Jesus. Without Jesus, without the Jews, there would be no us. We were grafted into them. They were not grafted into us. And you can find all that in the book of Romans chapter 11. Now, if you doubt my findings or my beliefs, I'm fine with that. That's good. I don't have any problem with that. However, I direct you to Exodus chapter 12, verses 26 and 27. And it reads, When your children say to you, What does this right mean to you? You shall say it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who blessed over the houses or who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in the land of Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes and the people bowed low and worshipped. God is telling us not only to remember but to teach our children. Exodus 13 verse 8 
You shall tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Again, he's teaching children. And let's not forget Exodus 13, verse 14. And it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? Then you will say to him, With a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. That's Passover. Three times within two chapters, God said, Remember his Passover. Not only to remember the Passover, but to teach the Passover to our children. Guess what? Jesus died on Passover, the very same date. Hmm. And yet American church chooses to celebrate a holiday called Easter over Passover. Now, don't get me started on Easter. I'm afraid I'd hurt your feelings. I'll leave that be for the time being. The account of the Lord's Passover in Exodus 12 and 13 is mirrored in the four Gospels when Jesus died as the Passover Lamb of God for all mankind. We would do well to remember that as great as God acted in Exodus, he acted even to a greater extent in the crucifixion of Christ. We should remember both. Why? because at least three times we are told to remember the Passover and teach it to our children. Evidently knew that his Passover land was coming, not only within the same season as the Passover in Exodus, but on precisely the same date, the 14th day of the first month at the full moon. Now you might wonder why I keep harping about the moon phases. Well, it's simple. Like the feasts, not only are the lunar phases statutes, but they are ordinances as well. Hmm. King David gives us this information in Psalm 81, verses 3 and 4. It says, Blow the trumpet at the new moon, the beginning of the month, the full moon, the middle of the month, and on our feast days. For it is a statute for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. There it is again, statutes and ordinances. The sound of the trumpet at the new moon, the full moon, the feast days, is the marking and recording of these events on God's timeline according to his ecclesiastical calendar. It is a statute or law for Israel. And when I say Israel, that would be what people refer to as Jews in the modern age. However, we need to look more closely at this ordinance of God of Jacob business. The God who named Jacob Israel was Jacob's God before he became Israel. Jacob was a Hebrew. So at that time, he was the God associated with Hebrews. Then God named Jacob Israel. The people who were in Egypt were descendants of Israel. In 975 B.C., the people had a falling out, a church split, if you will, and there was a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. The inhabitants of Judah were the tribes of Judah, Levi, and part of Benjamin. Those were the first Jews. There were no Jews before that. The text saying that it is an ordinance of God of Jacob indicates, at least to me, that God was the God of the aforementioned people of whom we, the Gentiles, were grafted into. Therefore, the God of Jacob is our God, 
and his ordinances are our ordinances. Remember, a statute is a law. An ordinance is a final judgment or decision that cannot be changed. For instance, the taking of the Lord's Supper or communion is an ordinance. Marriage between one man and one woman is an ordinance. An ordinance is not a statute or law, but a commandment that stands forever. Now let's track a little bit of history within the first month of Aviv or Nisan. According to the Talmud, a book of rabbinical writings and or the biblical text itself, these are events that occurred during the first ecclesiastical month of Aviv or Nisan. Abraham died the first day of Aviv, 1638 BCE. Isaac died on the first day of Aviv, 1533 BCE. Jacob, Israel, died the first day of Aviv, 1506 BCE. On the first day of Aviv, 1416 BCE, Joshua sent two spies into Jericho. On the tenth day of Aviv, one, Miriam the prophetess sister of Moses and Aaron, died. Two, Joshua entered into the promised land. Three, the Passover lamb was selected. On the fourteenth day of Aviv, first, Passover when Israel was brought out of Egypt. Second, Jesus, the sacrificial Lamb of God, was crucified on the 14th day of Nisan. The 15th day of Aviv concluded the plagues on Egypt. Now I ask you, think about these things and how they fit together. The 15th day of Aviv, 1713 BCE, was the birth of Isaac. On the 16th day of Aviv, 1273 BCE, the children of Israel stopped eating manna and began living off land God had given them. And the 16th day of Nisan is the date of Esther's second banquet, accusing Haman of his intended massacre of the Jews. On the 17th day of Nisan was the resurrection of Christ. On the 17th day of the month of Aviv, during the 24th century BECE, Noah's Ark came to rest on Ararat. On the 21st day of Aviv, 1456 BCE, the Red Sea parted, allowing Israel to cross on dry ground. Pretty neat, huh? Another little interesting tidbit of information, at least for me, is that I was born May the 2nd, 1962 or Nisan 28-57-22, precisely two weeks after Passover. Being so, I am born in the month of Nisan associated with the tribe of Judah. How is that? The months of God's ecclesiastical calendar are associated with the tribes by the standards in which the tribes were camped around the tabernacle or the tent of meeting and standards by which the nation moved from one place or other. And the order is found in Numbers chapter 2. And the standards in which the tribes camped and moved are as follows. Judah moved first. That's the month of Nisan. Next was Issachar, month of Iyar. And Zebulon, Sivan. Reuben, Tammuz. Simeon, the month of Ab. 
tribe of Gad, Elul. Now the tribe of Levi moved after Gad. The tribe of Levi moved after Gad. And the tribe of Levi was responsible for taking down, moving, setting up, and the maintenance of the tabernacle. The tribe of Levi is not associated with any month in particular. The seventh was Ephraim, associated with Tishri. Then Manasseh, Heswan. Benjamin, Kishlu. Dan, Tibet. Asher, Shabbat. And Naphtali, in our current month of Adar. It was seen that given this information, there are 13 tribes instead of 12. Well, remember that Ephraim and Manasseh were the sons of Joseph. Joseph received a double portion blessing from Jacob as a birthright. Double portion means that the tribe of Joseph was split between the first two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, receiving equal portions Joseph gained on his birthright. So in case you're wondering, I'm not saying that we have to live according to strict Jewish standards and customs. What I'm saying is I believe it would behoove us to pay closer attention to what God said in his word. Jesus Christ died fulfilling the law for the sake of righteousness and ceremony. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ died fulfilling the law for the sake of righteousness and ceremony. Our righteousness is acquired by his blood, and he entered into the Holy of Holies, a room in the tabernacle or temple, not built by the hands of man, one time, and offered his blood for the sins of the world. So what about the moral laws? Surely we are not condemned by such, are we? Well, if we're not for the moral laws, how would we know what sin is and what sin is not? Paul says that the law was good, but sin took the law and killed him with it. Let me ask you, men, you cheat on your wife, you steal, you lie. Ladies, I'll ask you some questions. Do you gossip? Do you look down upon others for their actions, or do you pray for them? Do you engage in little harmless flirting? I'd hope not. The moral laws are basically a code of conduct. And those laws are what are expected of us and how we should live. They are a standard or the mark that we are intended to maintain. The word sin is an ancient archery term meaning to miss the mark. You may say, well, we don't stone people anymore, and you would be correct. If we did, I'm pretty certain that a lot of things that are going on in today's society in the United States would have been nipped in the bud. That was the judgment and the sentencing of the day. However, now we will all face judgment at the white throne of judgment, as it says in Revelations, according to our deeds. It doesn't say we will be condemned. However, we all will be judged. Now, perhaps I can shed some additional light on this matter. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks of the discipline of the Lord. Every son and daughter the Lord receive, he scourges. That means he whips them. And they must come under and partake the discipline of the Lord, or they are not sons and daughters, but illegitimate children. The question I have to ask is this. If we must be disciplined, it would indicate that we have fallen short of some standard by which we are expected to uphold. If there is no standard, there would be no need for discipline. 
And by the way, do not confuse discipline and correction for punishment. Discipline, correction, and punishment are two entirely different things. But there is an expectation to live holy lives. God said, I am holy, you be holy. And certainly we all make mistakes, me, you, them, y'all, us, everyone. Grace allows us to be disciplined so that we may repent and turn from those mistakes on a repeated and constant basis. Repeated and constant sin. That's not the way it was intended to be. Grace does not, nor has it ever intended to give us free license to carry on continually or intentionally in sin. And don't say it can't be done. For not by my might, not by my strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Ever heard that? It means the Holy Spirit abiding within us is capable of providing the power to overcome habitual sin if we will submit to his guidance. No, prepare to be disciplined. If you cannot accept discipline or correction, then you are no child of the living God. Next week on the 23rd day of March at sunset, Adar will come to an end and Nisan will begin. It's a new year and a new month of opportunity. Nisan is known as the month of blessing. And it is a time of feast, unleavened bread, and the feast of first fruits. I'll talk more about the feast next week. Shed some light on what God said about those. Next week on the 23rd of March, as the month of Adar comes to a close and Nisan presents a new year, my son, his wife, and his youngest daughter will be leaving on a mission trip to South Africa. I'd appreciate it if you would join with me in prayer for their safe arrival. They would have an impact on the people there in South Africa, glorifying God, and safely return them home just before Passover. Drop me an email. Let me hear from you. I am the old watchman Ezekiel. Now, hopefully, you know a little more about God's word than you did yesterday. And you, you have been warned. Well, that's all for now. I thank you for your time and participation. Our time together is precious to me. Please, come and visit me at theoldwatchman.com for show notes, articles, video content, book reviews, Bible study material reviews, and Bible study methods. It's my hope and prayer that you get to know me through this podcast. Through the website at theoldwatchman.com, I can get to know you. If you like the content, consider following The Old Watchman on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. See you next time. May nothing in your life be missing, nothing in your life be broken. Shalom.